0: Welcome to Discerning Catholicism, where a Protestant steps into the lion's den to discern whether there really is anything within Catholicism worth protesting about. Here we discern what it would take for a Protestant to become a Catholic. You're here with Joshua King and Dr. Cameron Surrey at the Auckland Catholic Tertiary Chaplaincy. Good morning, Cam. How's it going? Yeah,
1: it's going well. It's going well amidst the uh, the onset of our own coronavirus um, local pandemic beginning. Mm, but, uh, it really is, isn't it? That's life, I suppose. <laughs> <It's>, that's life. <laughs> yeah, too much <laughs> life.
0: <laughs> it's That's life for, I think, everyone at the moment, yeah. except for people in Africa, for some reason.
1: Oh, I, mm. I, I don't imagine that, it, that it's not there, but either or, it's not being reported on or they don't have that many testing kits or...
0: Yeah, I wonder. I or, like, there's medical people there, so, like, it just seemed to be that the centre of Africa was, like hadn't been reached yet or something okay. so it's quite plausible I guess if they haven't really got flights going in and out and mm. people don't really travel there all the time but um, like the Congo I think that's in the middle yeah okay. anyway so today I think we we decided we were going to talk about the next point in the book mm. and you were mentioning that we, uh, we got I think we got to the Word of God like what does that mean?
1: Yeah so in the context of a discussion about Scripture and tradition uh, he's talking about actually the canon of scripture and how Catholics and Protestants have slightly different canon in regards to the Old Testament there's seven books in the Catholic Old Testament not present in the Protestant Old Testament and there are historical uh, and linguistic um, reasons for, for that mm. which only interests me a little bit it's not something that I'm really passionate about because um, What, the canon of scripture? <laughs> no, I mean the, the, the particular differences in the canons. Uh. Um, you know, if those seven books got taken out of my Catholic Bible I would be a bit sad but I wouldn't be devastated. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um so and I so I I don't think it's one of the core issues as such of which which way the church should have gone in terms of the canon. But it does point to a core issue which is to do with the relationship between the church and the church's authority and the formation of the canon in the first place. Mm. Um, and Anyway, so in, in the context of this discussion, the author says basically, he argues that um, the Catholic Church is wrong to, um, to make itself the judge or the arbiter of what should be in the scriptures. Because, um, because scripture is the word of God and then the church is kind of making itself the judge of the word of God. So that's the argument he uses. And I thought, mm, I think there's some misunderstanding at work here in regards to what is meant by the word of God. Mm. And so I thought maybe that's what we could discuss today. What do we mean when we say the word of God?
0: Yeah. <coughs> You know, I think we're gonna to get to the point where I forget where we've kind of mentioned things like this and I am just gonna reiterate stories I've told before, but <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> but um no, yeah, I think the the word of God I I, I think I, I may have already talked about how I discussed this with my friend once and we kind of there's this like sense of the word of God is always scripture. Or that's what Protestants tend always say. It's like oh, it's scripture, like the word of God and scripture are almost The same thing, only like exclusively. I've never heard a single person in my life talk about the word of God apart from Scripture. And this is in like not very like. I mean, it'd be interesting to see what more Reformed people think. Mm. But this book was recommended to us by a quite a very Reformed person. So, Reformed and Calvinists are the same thing, basically. To anyone who doesn't know. But yeah, it's. And when I talked to my reformed friend about this, he, he was the same. So it, it does, it, for me, as far as I can tell, the Word of God is just Scripture. Um, but I don't. When I did my study on the Greek, or the word logos, which is where word is translated from, it equally means a whole range of other things. Um, and I, I read an article about how it stems from. The tradition of the philosophers in Greek culture relating to like the sort of core principle behind all words it's like intel, like the it's like information like the intelligibility of information or the structure mm-hmm. the intelligible structure behind all things yeah. to which words refer um, and it's it seems to be like an ethos or an e- essence in itself mm. um, almost to the point it seemed the way the article was talking that it was almost to the point where the philosophers almost saw it as a god or they worshiped it or they were like you know everything we do and everything we are comes by this ethos or spirit mm. and so there's like this paying homage to it or something you know yeah and <coughs> so when john's writing you know the logos <laughs> in the beginning was the logos and the logos was with god and the logos was god he's basically talking to the philosophers um, in Greek culture, saying, "Hey, you know that thing you guys basically honor above everything—that is God." Mm. Um, yeah, and and that has become flesh. in yeah. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's pretty. It's pretty incredible when you understand the context. Mm. But that, that completely just blows out of the water if you know anything about that. This notion that the Word of God is just Scripture. Yeah, I've yeah. never heard any other idea. Perhaps in theological colleges I might, but I haven't been around them.
1: Mm. I mean, if you look at the New Testament and the instances of the Word of God, uh, which I, I had a quick skim this morning, and there's quite a few instances of that phrase, the Word of God, and it generally re- refers to a number of things, as far as I can see. Um, Jesus, if I say Jesus was preaching the Word of God to them. Mm. So, I think so it's but what is he preaching? He's preaching, um, it's like the the truth or the revelation of God um, or it might have the apostles, St. Paul or St. Peter or, um, preaching the word of God or people wanted to receive the word of God or um, this is n- not according to the word of so these actions are in contradiction to the word of God um, not in the context of a particular text but more in the context of a truth that 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 we hold or something like that hmm. so um, I didn't find it might be maybe maybe I overlooked some things but I, I never found any instance of the Word of God in the New Testament referring explicitly to something written down um, yeah I think you Maybe in the Gospels you do. It is a bit of a reference to um, maybe the the law or something like that. But again, it's sort of it's to the law, which is expressed through the first five books of the Bible. Mm. But it's not simply to the books. It's like it's to 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 the truth that they express, or something like that. Um, So
0: yeah, yeah, that's interesting. It is quite interesting. I, I most Protestants I meet now or like most of my friends, I should just say my friends, because nearly all my friends are Protestants, but when I talk to them about the Word of God, I will often ask them, where where in Scripture does it say that the Word of God is Scripture, or that it is only Scripture? What is the Word of God? And I don't ask this because I'm trying to say it's not Scripture or whatever, and they get that, but... I ask it because I'm genuinely interested in where people have found it because I've never found it. Hmm. And and when I try to look it up on occasion to try and, like my whole life I've never seen it and then when I look it up in like these search engines that typically find stuff for you pretty well, I've tried to look and I can't find it and I've tried to Google it and I can't find it. Um, You just find these kind of like vague theological inferences Hmm. from various randoms online and um, I guess if I don't have an academic database perhaps that's a problem as well. But it's just funny that if it is something that's well talked about in theological circles even amongst like Bible colleges and stuff in New Zealand, why would that have not disseminated to some degree to the churches? Um, I think it's quite I think it's it's quite a valuable notion that the word of God is sort of like this deeper meaning Mm -hmm. in that it's something of God or Jesus' essence being conveyed to human mankind because I think it really ties well into the sense of the Holy Spirit leading us and what God in revelation mm. and what God reveals to us through our lives, like private personally, privately, as well as through the body through his people as well as through the scriptures and everything, you know, like mm. but and and I think in, in Protestant churches the notion of the Holy Spirit leading you is quite strong because there's the Pentecostal drive, and that's kind of like influenced a lot of churches mm. these days. And so that personal leading of the Spirit is talked about all the time. Um, it's just fascinating that there's this this lack of a bridge. Yeah. That,
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing that the catechism, the Catholic catechism, says explicitly, as it says, Christianity is not a religion of the book this is in the context of a discussion about scripture, kind of says, therefore, Christianity is not a religion of the book, it's a religion of the Word, um,
0: well, the Word seen. of
1: God, um, or the Word who, who is God and who became incarnate. Mm. And so, um, now, we have to be careful because we're not saying that <laughs> the Bible isn't the Word of God, or we're not, we're not being negative, we're, we're trying to be positive, we're trying to say actually, the Word it's of God primarily points us back to a person who mm. is the Word of God and and then the Bible is like um, a chief or privileged witness to this person so it's um, it's one of the most important points of access to this person and so I, I still often talk about the Bible as the Word of God but um but if someone really presses me and says, "What's the word of God?" Well, I would say, "Well, ultimately, the word of God is Christ." Um, mm. So I can still say, "Yeah, the, the scriptures—that's the word of God." Um, just like in the liturgy, a- after the first reading mm. and the second reading, we say, "This—the word of the Lord." So um, that's fine. It's not—it's not an either-or. It's a both-and. But within the both-and, there's still an order. Like there's. What's primarily the word of God? It's Christ.
0: The thing I'm interested, like, what I've found it quite difficult to even separate truth, as understood in Hebrew and Greek, as or Christian Christianity as well, as being like the essence of God's nature, truth itself, Um, and thus at the same time, then thinking that. The word of God or the logos is almost synonymous with that, hmm. and it's and it's outworking like revelation from God from His creation that testifies to Christ, who's the incarnate Word of God, right? Is also like the Word of God, um, or if it's if you, if you wouldn't say that, you would say it's the truth or it's it's truth. It's revelation and truth from God, which you would say is God's nature manifest and mm. is God himself practically speaking to you. So would you not say that's the word of God? Like, I think, although it's not like directly obvious, when you start actually talking about what these things are, they are almost identical
1: mm.
0: in their outworking. Yeah, yes. It's kind of like talking about the Trinity. <laughs> But then, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, this is just like a working theory. Like, I don't know this stuff. It just seems to be like that to me. Um.
1: Yeah, well, I suppose um, truth. Truth, what is that? Um, Truth requires, in in order to speak about truth, you, you require not only a source of truth, but kind of a receiver of truth, I think. So truth is like reality In as much as it can be, um, experienced, yeah, Yeah. experienced and understood, and in as much as it's intelligible, in as much as it can feed my intelligence, um, it's
0: true. That's really fascinating. Yeah, because that does seem to be what the Greek truth means. It's 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 always directly linked to a relatability. Yeah. Um, Every time. And it does; it is reality as well. So there's kind of like this abstract philosophy of Platonism. Look up that word if you don't know. That's influenced a lot of our discussion around truth, which is kind of abstracting it out. But uh, otherwise, when you read the Christian notion or the Greek notion or in John and scriptures, the words and the concepts being talked about are actually referring to a relatability, which means that reality itself is still... Relatable is still limited to its relatability to us it seems to be mm. um, or perhaps it's not maybe reality is abstract and actually part of the definition of truth is that it's not just that it's relatable it's also that it is the real reality at the same time
1: well it's just that when you say what's real or you say what's true or you say what's good um, you're just you're referring to the same thing but from different angles I think. So truth is from more from the angle of, to the extent it can be known, mm. um, whereas goodness is like to the extent that it can attract me, um, it, that it can be loved, or mm. whatever. So, um, what is reason, reality
0: then? <laughs> well, yeah, that's the bit that I'm tripping over, I guess. Um, I'm not. I haven't studied up on that in philosophy mm. or the Greek for that.
1: Yeah, that seems to be more general, like it is, like this is, but then that it's true, well, if it is, then it's also knowable, and then um, if it's good, well, if it is, then it also is something that um, that attracts me and, and yeah. i really
0: loved. A lot of I remember my atheist friend who's super going on about how, he, he trips over this a lot, he really pushes hard the notions of um, reality being something that you cannot know, and that you know, everything is, you know, your own perception and you are the greatest authority of what is for you because everything is subject to you. So everything is subjective, which I just agree with him. I'm like, yeah, everything is subjective, but everything is also objective. But, (laughs) and then I think the conversation (laughs) implodes at that point. But but he he really struggles. He's saying, like, it's really pushing this notion that, you know, reality he felt like he w- you was, i was saying that reality itself is um subject to our experience but i think perhaps there's a difference it's like re- there's a difference between the two and i think maybe he'd like this as well that reality is separate but truth is just those things which we can experience of reality perhaps so there is still that abstract notion but truth perhaps reality is bigger than just truth, because truth is really tied to that which we can encounter. Yeah, and when
1: you say encounter, it implies a bunch of things like, okay, so you encounter it, but you sort of, you come to know it, and that means that it it restructures you, so it reforms me, Mm. and then I can communicate it to somebody else, because I've sort of interiorized it. So... um, Maybe that's what stands behind your when you say the word experience. There's a whole com- complex um, dynamic going on.
0: Yeah, I guess like I tend to see experience as largely all-encompassing of every aspect of our what we would say we know or mm. anything, like our first principles of all reasoning and, and deductions and conclusions. Yeah, uh, we can. But, yeah, we also have the capacity to just ignore our experience and then make blather, essentially, which is to say things untrue. Um, To say things that don't really exist, which is why I come to the conclusion you can't understand things that don't exist. So whenever you're talking to someone, just ask them questions. And if you still don't understand it, keep asking questions. And basically, if it's not true, they're going to convince themselves otherwise. So Mm. you don't actually need to persuade anybody. You just need to ask good questions until you understand it because if it's not true, you won't. So don't be afraid of anything. There's nothing to be afraid of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. So um,
1: we've got it kind of gotten into more of a philosophical discussion. Has but, been a bit, but but it's not unrelated. I think it's we're talking about. Yeah. So if we're talking about the Word of God, then maybe we're talking about God in as much as He can communicate Himself, or something like
0: that. Well, because I would maybe like. I feel like we're saying... Because, I mean, this is interesting. Because I was, I, was, I was saying that it seems like truth is the same as, as the Word of God. But then, now that I think about it, there seems to be truth seems to be that which is revealed, perhaps, or that, that which is limited to our receptivity. Uh, and then reality seems to be possibly bigger than just what we can receive. So perhaps it's bigger than truth, but we wouldn't know. And then there's the Word of God which when we look at the philosophers and the Greek culture, it seems to be the ethos behind all things that are intelligible and perhaps mm. receivable. So it's almost more akin to reality itself.
1: Uh, mm. I, I don't and know. I, I think or
0: more akin to, say, the essence behind reality, so the substance behind reality in all things, which would be God himself. So
1: The thing about truth is that it isn't limited by our capacity for truth because God has a capacity for truth and so god knows himself and so actually everything mm. that is is also true not yeah. just not just what us mere human beings can can comprehend. receive yeah and i think it's the same with the word of god everything yeah. that god is he can communicate um even even if we're very limited in what we can receive
0: yeah that would make more sense too with the some of the dictionaries i was reading one of them like i was thinking it to myself for ages and then I came across a dictionary that explicitly said it, and I was like, yes! <laughs> mm-hmm. But I don't want to be, like, cherry-picking. But it just said that the nature of God, like, truth, by definition, is the essence of God. God's mm-hmm. own character and nature is what truth is. So I guess, yeah, it is identical in that sense. It's, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> so then, when it says, the word of God came to the prophet, um, you know, and it says that quite often in the Old Testament... Yeah, the prophet, and it says the word of God came to, you know, this person at this time in this place, and that's quite interesting, isn't it? And so, you could equally say, I guess, the Spirit of God, but the emphasis when you say the word of God is that God wanted this person to proclaim a truth,
0: Mm. and um, it's very fascinating because, like, when you do get. They do seem like looking at the same thing from different angles. Truth and word of God.
1: Mm.
0: It's kind of because they do have nuance in the way that they outwork, in the way that they're used and talked about. Yeah. And it's so it's hard to almost point to a difference in some ways, but then at the same time it's like, well, there is there is a important difference. We just don't really fully understand what it is. Mm. Um, perhaps it's just. Perhaps it's really just a. Um, A mechanism of language and a mechanism of communication. So then, I guess another question we could ask is, what is the relationship
1: between scripture and the Word of God, positively? Mm. Um, If we if we don't want to simply equate the two as like all we mean by the Word of God is scripture. Okay, so we've sort of we've um,
0: I think clearly broken that apart yeah we don't, we, do,
1: we don't like that approach we think that the word of God is something more fundamental but then scripture is obviously super important and has a really key role in this whole thing so how can we talk about that um, I was suggesting before um, a word that came up in my reading was a witness so you have witnesses to mm. the word of God And so scripture bears witness to the word of God. Yeah. And so we can call it a a reliable witness. So that when you read the scripture, you you encounter the
0: word of God. Um, And you can can rely on that. Mm, mm, Yeah. It is interesting. Um, There is a really interesting by William Lane Craig he talks about revelation he talks about special revelation which is the scriptures and he would say that they're divinely inspired um, but the way he talks about it is he'd say that essentially they are from man and so they have every aspect of a person's interaction their feelings their thoughts every aspect of the person is in it so it's wholly from the person from the man But you often hear from certain people who are trying to discount it as being the word of God but that it's also um, divinely inspired in that like God's foreordained all things to arrange these writings to arrive as being God's message to us or teaching to us mm. but they come to us through the medium of the, of the man or the one who wrote it yeah. or the ones who wrote them so so it's like so the the affirmation of in in inerrancy is all that is affirmed and all that is taught by the writings which means what was intended to be taught by the authors is what God intends to teach us yep. as well hmm. and was and there's lots of signs and reasons to think that that's the case when you just assess it and those signs and reasons to think that is the case is um, I mean extents, is, is talked about quite a bit by a lot of Protestants who try to defend the scriptures or their canon of the scriptures they make different criterions to imply that there are like miracles and there are um well, that's the one that I can only really put my finger on at this, at this point but it's just even if you look at the historicity of it, you can see that like they're the most reliable sources we have of any kind of testimony of Jesus's life yeah. of the apostles in their times at those times uh, yeah it's but yeah, I do, I do find, personally I find it hard to sort of argue from first principles why those are the scriptures. I think that anyone who's looking at that really should look at the history of why it was, they were decided at the time by the councils who sort of affirmed them officially. And there's lots of writings from the different church fathers, isn't there, of the, can- the things that they think are mm-hmm. the appropriate canon. And I'm sure they'd have things to say about why.
1: Yeah, as well. Um, yeah, well, the, the author of this um, Catholic, um, Catholic Theology and Practice book actually does a little bit of digging in that area. Um, he's arguing for the Protestant version of the Old Testament and says that um, there's, a, there's some early church fathers who basically are putting forward that. Um, uh, Oregon, Athanasius, I can't remember, there was another key one, maybe Tertullian. And then he says that it was Saint Augustine, oh, and Saint Jerome, sorry, as well. Saint Augustine was a key voice in um, in pushing the um, what is now the Catholic Old Testament canon. Um, I, I I need to do a bit more reading about that, I mean, I think it's a complex complex history, um, but anyway, yeah, there are definitely voices in the early church, and a little bit of debate about the. Um, what what books comprise the Christian scriptures mm. Or it's but it's more actually about the Old Testament ones um, I'm not aware of a whole lot of debate about New Testament writings
0: Yeah, no, I don't think I don't think there is any debate about the New Testament writings, I believe Catholics and Protestants all agree
1: mm. but even very the, strongly. Even in the early church I don't know if there's a whole lot of debate I mean there is no, maybe with the heretics uh, like the, the different heresies um, particularly the the first big heresy, which is... I mean, um, we, don't even
0: have, we don't even have any writings besides the New Testament writings that are even like, I don't know, even 100 years within?
1: Or would that be? Yeah, that's right. The, the other so-called Gospels generally are written a lot later. Like 200 years or something later? Or oh, something. I think in the second century, you've got, you know, I think, you know, Gospel of Thomas and Gospel of... James, Gospel of Peter, and those sort of things. I think they they're more second century texts, as far as I'm aware. I
0: it. heard that John is is written like between 90 and 110, mm. though, which is yeah. second century. Sure, bordering,
1: but, but it's writ, well, but it's actually written by John. Um, so he he's still or it's he's still least, a first
0: century character,
1: even if he maybe yeah. his life spans into the second century.
0: I heard that it's not like because I was doing a. I looked at a number of commentaries, one of them which was by this priest and he was saying that it's not really important whether it was actually written by John or some other guy right. r- named John or whatever, but the important thing that everyone affirms is that it's the gospel according to John, right. who's um, John the Apostle, right? Yeah. yeah, not the Baptist. Yeah, correct. <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, whether it was written by someone else but, or whatever, doesn't really matter
1: but I suppose certain texts were received instantly by the church and were, and, and were read in the liturgy mm. and that goes for St Paul's letters as well right um, whereas other texts I think were used by um,
0: <laughs> random no names <laughs> uh, the, the, the,
1: the, the generic name of the early heresies that denied Christ came in the flesh they're actually the ones that John is chiefly writing against right um, the, the name escapes me um, some of them were called the docetists. Um, Docetism, yeah. Yeah, but there's
0: there's a more umbrella term. Um, anyway. I'm anyway, yeah. But yeah, usually, I mean, if you just, I think historically speaking, like from an academic standpoint of just historical writings, um, everyone in the industry, including non-Christians, says that the New Testament writings are the most reliable writings we have. Mm. Um, and they're super, super... Affirmed as reliable, and then you, every other writing that we even have that exists is um, has errors in it and is or like is clearly, by academic standpoint, far less reliable. And so it's not even like if you're looking from that perspective, it's not even a question as to what we should look at. The only question is: is of the ones that are in the Bible right now in the New Testament, should we exclude any of them? Because it's so so obvious that they're the that they are the most reliable yeah. independent of any kind of theological overlay yeah. so
1: but but the point is that the church does actually judge um the different writings and and judges with the help of the holy spirit um what counts
0: as being true witness to the word of God, yeah, and it's funny like. How can, I think this is kind of the point of the guy in, of the book, right? He's saying, how can you be a judge of what's a true witness to the Word of God? Like, you're setting yourself above, like, God's revelation and being the decider of what is and isn't of God. But I think that, and the way you articulate it then is, is really sort of, it's playing directly into the hands. It's not that it's bad. I think it's the right articulation. But in terms of those who go out... Getting upset about this notion would use that articulation as their proof that you're putting yourself above God and discernment. But I mean, the key thing there that you said was like with the help of the Holy Spirit. It's it's not just that the Holy Spirit's helping us, although He is a helper and comforter. I think um, it's that there's a promise that the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth, and now you can just assert that that's only to the apostles. You want, but I don't see why you should believe that necessarily.
1: But the other important um, word is witness. That you're not the church is not judging the word of God. The church is judging what counts as a genuine witness. Um. So. It, so if the scriptures are witness to the word of God, well, like you do need to judge witnesses. Like, is this is this a genuine witness? Yep. Or well, this one is not. So mm. we make judgments. We're not judging. Um, we're not standing over the truth that they're witnessing to, mm. but we are. We're determining which one of these um, witnesses is is genuine, um, because we've already been received the truth, so we understand this truth, and then which one of these is in accordance with that.
0: And we have to remember that receiving the truth is actually the Holy Spirit, like because mm. the Spirit, Holy Spirit, is called the Spirit of the truth in yeah. the phrasing, and we're discerning. Yes. Yeah, we're recognizing the truth in other forms, I mm-hmm. guess, in yeah. Scripture via the truth that is in us, that we've, has been revealed to us, and that is leading us, because no one would deny that the Holy Spirit is leading everyone, um, except, I mean, I say that, but I really wonder whether or not some Calvinists would say, well, no, the Holy Spirit's not leading those who didn't draw, so.
1: Oh, sure, but, yeah, yeah.
0: But, so it's sort of hard to, you know, I feel like there's a lot of potholes once you start adding them up, like, in terms of... Um, ambiguity and confusion around some of the Calvinist teachings, but it's the same accusation used against Catholics as well It's like oh you use this teaching and it could make someone think this Well, that. really seems to be what the problem is, but then it's like the same thing happens No matter what you teach um, We really need to just actually have a conversation and really try to understand what is reasonable mm. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people actually, now that I'm thinking about it, really pushing back against the notion of setting yourself up as a judge, particularly within apologetic circles, which is a lot of stuff that I'm involved in, Mm. the ministry I work with. Um, I think, I heard from my friend that a lot of reformed people are basically, I think I said this before, de facto apologists. A lot of reformed academics are just super apologists uh, in their academic work. They're they're not necessarily aiming for sort of like a self-revelatory Information they're actually trying to use what is, seems to appear in the world to push their points that they already hold to, perhaps. Mm. But they often will argue about the, the philosophy of man and that man setting himself up to use reason to discern truth, and that he's setting himself up above God when he does that. Or there's a number of apologists out there who will like argue, you know, if you think that you can decide what is true and what isn't. Um, that that's like a an idol that that's idolatry and i encountered this a bit when i was talking to one of the professors at Laidlaw college and he was saying you know he hates natural theology because he thinks most of it is is idolatry and i tried to ask him what he meant but it seemed to be more that he just thinks oh well some of it's pretty good but then he was really pushing this point that you actually seemed to counter before he was pushing this point that well you know Natural theology will not get you to Christ, and it's, it's not, a, you will never get the full revelation of, of like Christ or perhaps the Word sure. with, with, with natural theology, and, yep. and I, I kind of said, well yeah, obvious, I mean I, isn't that obvious in Scripture, it's the, the point of the law and natural theology is to, is to reveal to us our sin, right, which you have to have if you're going to make sense of the Gospel, or if you're going to make sense of God's, Christ's revelation. Um, I don't think that natural law is designed to give the full revelation. No, no way. I mean, but it still points to Christ, it still points to the Word of God, well, like all truth seems to.
1: It, it, certainly, I think you can discover that there is a God who is good, who created us, and against whom, you know, or, or with whom we, we seem to have fallen out of right relationship. Mm. So you can sort of diagnose the basic lie of the land and the problem with natural revelation. But you, 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 there's no savior in natural revelation.
0: No, it, sure. it, it seems to cast you upon desperation of complete. The only the only game in town is ask God for mercy because you ain't got no hope of anything else.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Which I which I have heard from like William Lane Craig as being a thing that the the old, like is is the truth of even Israelites like when they when they have faith in the law. To save them, they're really just having faith in god 's revelation, and it's not that the law itself, like the ritualistic laws that they necessarily um are works that actually save them it's more the fact that they are they are casting their hearts upon the mercy of God mm-hmm. in the practices themselves, and it's yep. because of that faith that they're actually saved by extension of what Christ has done yeah so, so so
1: the 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 works the outward works are their way of. Maintaining the covenant, their side of the covenant, mm. but it's, it's it's being in the covenant with God. That's the saving reality.
0: Mm, yeah. Or, or the way I like to look at it in terms of people who get really all confused about like who's in and who's out type stuff. is I just say, if you have a if you have a way of orienting your life, and you don't have even a desire to try and become, to, to try and do that the question of like well do you want to pursue God is immediately raised so mm. it's not a question of are you in or out it's a question of do you even want to follow God or not because hmm. if you don't then it's like God's like I'm not going to make you Yeah. and I think that that kind of that way it's not like it's kind of like what Jesus says often it's like someone was saying are you saying that I'm in or out and Jesus often responds <laughs> or something no you say that
1: yeah. you
0: say that you are I'm not saying anything you're saying it yeah. type thing yep. which is quite cool that crops up quite a lot in scripture that kind of thing mm. um. yeah so the word of God mm.
1: <laughs> well perhaps we could leave that discussion there
0: yeah I feel like we've really kind of mm. laid out all the data haven't we that's we available mm. well yeah we've tried <laughs> how much how much is all the data <laughs> we nailed it we, we smashed it it's done no, no I, I think we're just grasping but, but uh, yeah uh, it's good to try and
1: anyway order your thoughts and that sort of thing
0: so what's uh, what is the the next step from here then with respect to word of God and I th- what, what is it that the, the author is really sort of saying I mean is there much more to the, to his objection besides what you've raised already
1: not really no. Really? No, there's not. Th- he doesn't spend a lot of time in the assessment part. Uh. Um, but it's, So it's just enough to give you a few nuggets to discuss. It's not really a okay. a, a robust argument that you can spend a lot of time analysing.
0: It's interesting because this is like the second thing that's kind of been just quickly rushed over. Like tradition was one, this is another.
1: Mm. I mean, perhaps I'm not. Doing, I'm not giving you a full sense of everything he said, Right. I'm picking up on the things that I felt need discussion. Mm. Um, but, I mean, he's, he's really not providing a, a comprehensive um, arguments. He's really just providing the, the Protestant response
0: and the Protestant position. It's interesting, because I would say that these things, though, just those two alone like properly understanding them would be like almost the foundations upon which everything else, in yeah, terms of the differences sure. that actually exist. But this book is trying to go through the whole catechism of Catholic doctrine. <laughs> so
1: he doesn't have time to write a whole book on every issue.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm really curious to see what other issues start coming up because as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to discerning Catholicism as something that whether or not you should take it on or, or not as a Protestant these issues that we've already talked about, for me, seem to be the actual bottom line. Mm. The rest of the stuff is periphery, like if it's not wrong or evil, the other practices which perhaps seem weird and foreign to you, culturally speaking, or perhaps even seem wrong to you, um, if you can perceive them as not bad, then whether or not you follow them really just come down to whether or not um, you can trust the Mm. tradition. Which is and and the cult that the people and the sort of like successes of those who studied and like who should you trust? I think is the biggest question. Mm. It's a question I keep asking everyone: who should you trust and why? And then when you discern that, compare their best authors to the best authors of opposition, and then mm. decide for yourself. Sure. Anyway, cool. Well, thanks everyone for listening. We'll catch you next time.